0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA, member FDIC.
1: Um. Okay. Welcome back to talk at Nix. We had a hot week in Nick's world where the Knicks went over five hundred for the first time, and who knows how long. But we're gonna have a good time this week, so let's talk Knicks. And we're here. I'm here with uh, my brother Kenny and my good friend Tom Pickle, and we're going to talk about the Knicks going two and one this week. They uh, they made sure the last one was as bad as possible, so that we forgot all the good stuff that happened earlier this week. But well, even if we forget the good stuff that happens in Knicks world, we don't forget the good things that happen in our own lives. So, Tom, what's going on? How are you? I can't remember. Um... Oh,
2: no. <laughs> no, no. Things are good. Um, no, it was a good, it was a good uh, segue there. I'm good. It, it's been a pretty low-key weekend over here. Um, yeah, did a lot of climbing. I know you guys always like when I talk about the climbing. We um, do. It's, it's what I do with my free time. But uh, that and then watch the Knicks. Um, and Greg, if, if we had been recording this on like Friday after that first boston game like we would be as riding high as we have all year on this podcast like those were two awesome wins um but to your point yeah the last one was was a bit of a buzzkill. but uh ready to talk about when you guys are kenny how you doing
0: i'm good tom i'm good it's uh it's good to be back i missed the last several podcasts i think last week i was in uh florida for a wedding uh a lot of lot of COVID going around, but I have all of my tests have come back negative, so that's a positive. So I'm just uh, you know, living the dream. Just uh just trying to catch up this weekend on sleep and, and watching some TV shows, which spoiler alert, we're gonna talk about that after the episode. Technically part of the episode, but at the end. Uh but that's that's about it. Beautiful wedding, by the way. Beautiful
2: wedding. Love it. Greg, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Not much brewing around here. It's pretty cold outside. There's a pandemic out there, so I'm just bundled up watching the television, reading some books.
0: That's about it. Not much brewing. Should we uh, Should we start a new um, sub-podcast called uh, What Else Are You Reading? Um, no. Um, okay. <laughs> just checking. I don't, I don't I want, checking. want to talk about books. It's nerd stuff.
1: Yeah. I would have to like pay attention. A lot of time when I'm reading these days, I'm, you know, when you're just like, I wasn't paying attention for the last three pages, but
2: yeah.
1: now you're like, I don't have to take a test on this. So I'll just keep going. Anyway,
2: you just push right on through.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That,
2: that's good. So that's why
1: we can't talk about it on the pod because there's no test on it. Otherwise I'm going to have to start going back
0: and, and reading the things I didn't miss. Yeah. Did that's me. all. That's also why our, our book club died.
2: Uh, That's part of the reason I will say other reasons. Yeah. I mean, I will say that the closest that you get is like when a movie comes out based on a book that you've read. And so you kind of want to like, remember what happened a little bit. This is happening for me right now. I read a book called the tender bar, which just dropped last week on Amazon prime. It's a Ben Affleck movie directed by George Clooney. I'm like, do I remember anything about this? I'm going to be going into this movie. Like I I'm completely fresh. Yeah. Hmm.
0: I mean, I, I'll say that uh, I recently read, the last books that I've read, I've been going through the Lord of the Rings series, so I started with The Hobbit, and then I watched The Hobbit movies, and now I'm reading, uh, like, two-thirds of the way done with Fellowship of the Rings, and, like, so I've started watching the movies along with it, and, like, they're just, like, there's some stuff that's the same, but, like, there's whole chunks missing that, like, aren't, that are in the books that aren't in the movies, and like, it's all different. So, Very
2: speaking different. of a quest for a ring and whole chunks missing, let's talk about this Knicks team. Oh, my goodness. Oh. What a
1: perfect segue. Jeez. Best, best segue of the episode so far.
2: Let me make sure uh-huh. we're recording. All right, perfect. Cool.
1: <laughs> so, this week in Knicks World, we had a, a good week to start the week and a bad week to end the week. Knicks go 2-1. and one. They beat the Pacers in a fun game, 104-94. That was, a, that was a good one. R.J. and Julius Randle both scored 30. Next game, they beat the Celtics on an R.J. Barrett buzzer beater. Banked in three after being down 25. That was, a, that was the peak of the season thus far. But um, then they ended the week with an uh, absolute dud, losing 99-75 against the same Celtics team. Um, that was just a, a bad game. The, they – were bad in the first half, and then they continued to be bad in the second half. They, three out of four quarters of that game, they did not reach the 20-point mark, and that is how you score 75 points in an <laughs> NBA game. But let's let's go with the good first. Julius Randle in those first two games, after being out with with COVID for a short short duration by by COVID uh, break standards. He comes back and he was last year's, yet last year's Julius Randle um, for the most part. I mean, he came in, started a couple games by just like passing the ball directly to the other team and just doing some dumb stuff. But then, you know, he goes 12 for 20 against the Pacers, drops a 30-point bomb along with um, RJ dropping 30. But he looked good. He was controlling the team. He it's exactly what the team needed after missing him, you know. You get your best player back and, and things are good again. And then he was just uh tough to watch against, against the Celtics, same Celtics team in that second game.
0: So I don't know. Kenny, how do you feel about having Julius Randle back? Uh I don't think we can talk about Julius Randle without talking about the whole hubbal. lub What's the word I'm looking for? Hullabaloo. 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 is the word that I'm looking for. With a thumbs down and then uh was it Bondi asking him uh, what's going on. Um, but, like, I'm so I'm just going to get into that. And uh, for the full backstory, for those of you who don't know, which I don't know how it would be possible, that you'd be listening to this podcast and not know what happened. Uh, Julius Randle in that first Celtics game, the Knicks came back to one win after being down 25 points, as Greg pointed out. Uh, at some point during the game, I think during one of their comebacks, they were still down maybe five or something, but he had a kind of a turnaround jumper. And then the fans started cheering, and he gave them the thumbs-down sig- signal. And uh, after the game and, like, a very exciting game, a very exciting finish, uh, Bondi decided to ask him what that was about and uh, what he was trying to say to the fans, and his response was, shut the F up. But he didn't say F. He said an actual word. Um, and so there was a whole, you know, there was a lot of, a lot said about that. And, like, from my uh viewing of nick's twitter and i don't know if you guys had a different viewing like i don't think most people cared. i think the only people who really cared were the media outlets and the media people um uh, most people didn't care and i think my take on it is i don't care at all like i think the nicks fans have the right to boo the team when they're not playing well and just like we have the right to do that like if julius Randle feels like speaking his mind about people booing them, like, I don't care as long as he plays well, which he did in that game. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to see him kind of stepping up. I know before he went out with COVID, there was, um, I don't know, if it was Alan Hahn or someone mentioned that uh, he was playing through injury and he was a little nicked up. And I think uh, Tibbs confirmed that. And so maybe those, I think two or three games off, you know, got him back to a, a healthier position. And we saw, you know, like Greg said, two good games after that and one kind of less good game, but like, I'm uh, – any, any progress is good progress, so I'm hoping, you know, he continues to, to show what he, he was doing last year throughout the rest of the season. But that, that's my take. Tom, uh, you have any different thoughts on the whole fiasco?
2: No, I mean, I don't care about it, but it's not good behavior. <laughs> I mean – no, look, I was just more interested in talking about kind of Randall's performance on the court. You know, part, part of that is what led to the booze. Um, at least in part, but at the same time, it was Randall's play that helped get the team back into that game against Boston. And even going back to the, the first game of the week against Indiana, when, as Greg mentioned, he had uh, Randall had 30 points, 16 boards, and four assists to, to three turnovers. Like, he was, maybe my favorite part of Randall's game in that one was just how much of a concerted effort he was making to find R.J. Barrett and to make sure that he kept I mean, Barrett came out hot, right? That first quarter, I think he had a career high for a quarter, uh, 19 points, I believe it was. And a lot of that was because Randall was making sure to feed the hot hand in R.J. Barrett. They are doing a lot of two-man game, the stuff that you see Julius Randall do a lot. It was last season, it was with Reggie Bullock. This year, it's been a lot with Evan Fournier. He was doing that two-man game, the dribble handoffs, the the, pick and, the side pick-and-rolls with R.J. Barrett, and it was leading to a lot of good stuff. Um, so that was kind of the most encouraging thing I probably saw all week, like even more so than the, the Celtics' comeback, as exciting as that was. It was seeing our two most important players and our two best players, allegedly, in Randall and Barrett having this great chemistry together. Like that's the kind of stuff that I – I really wanted to see this year was those two developed that kind of on-court chemistry. The Pacers game showed it is as possible, um, though, you know, we haven't really seen it all that sustained. Uh, but either way, I, I think that was a great sign. And that, was, that was a big takeaway for me. What do you think, Greg?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like – I like having Randall do Randall things. When he's when he's focused, he's good. When he's just like uh, – sometimes it just looks – like he's been hanging out with Fournier too much and he just doesn't care. Like uh, yesterday against the Celtics, there was one play where he just like dribbled the ball up the court and he was just very nonchalant with it. Marcus Smart just took it. Just like, not, not like he stole it. He just literally just grabbed it out of his hands. And then he, I guess he did steal it, but it's not like he made a good defensive play. He just took it. And uh, Julius Randle was just like, oops, I, uh, boneheaded play by me. And, and he now, does that,
0: yeah. And I'll I'll say that uh, that is part of the reason for some of the boos that he's gotten from the the Knicks fans is, and we've talked about it before. Like on offense, sometimes your shot doesn't fall, but on defense, like as long as you're putting in the effort, like people are going to respect that. And there have been times this season when Julius Randle just hasn't put in that effort. So, like Greg said, when he looks engaged, like I think he's going to get a, a much warmer response. But when he's he's kind of not as engaged and kind of playing a little aloof. it's not going to go well, but you know he's he's still our guy, and I'm you know happy to have him on the team when he's he's doing his good stuff, so like I said, hope that continues
2: yeah and and Greg mentioned Evan Fournier in kind of a, a pejorative way, but I feel like we probably should talk about Fournier's performance in that first Celtics game because that was that was unreal, and you know it's kind of taken a while for us to even get to him, but he scored forty one points on 25 field goal attempts, which is crazy. He was 15 to 25 from the field, including 10 of 14 from three. That tied a franchise record for a number of threes in a game with 10. I believe uh, he's tied with J.R. Smith, who that's I think correct. took – I think he attempted, JR did, took more than 20 three-pointers to get his 10. Fournier took 14. I mean, that's just so crazy. Um, And, of course, in keeping with the Knicks' recent struggles, Fournier was one of three from the free throw line in that game. But even then, it it didn't really matter. Because, like, when Fournier is hitting, it seems like the rest of his game works, too. He had eight rebounds. I don't think I I can remember a game with him having more than, like, three or four rebounds. He just doesn't hit the glass very hard. Um, He was just playing good basketball all around. He was more engaged on defense. He was Ding up uh, Jason Tatum and – actually like competing and it's just like when, when 40 is hitting, he's a completely different player on the other side of the ball too, which is awesome. But man, he was just nailing every three. We were drawing up plays for him. He was, he had so much confidence in his shot is, and we've seen him play this way against Boston before and kind of against nobody else. So it, how amazing would it be to have this, even like two thirds of this kind of player in non-boston games
1: yeah he's got three 30-point games this year all against boston and to go That's with your crazy. point go with your point of everything working out there was the play where he's like he was driving in the paint. he just lost the ball and then it just came right back to him and he had an open layup so that was the type of you know when things are going good they're going good and this this 41-point game was going off was coming off of a zero point twenty two minute outing against the Pacers in that prior victory, so 48 this week had a a zero point game in twenty two minutes a forty one point game shooting ten for fourteen from three, and then uh did not play with an injured ankle, so it's quite the the interesting
0: week by him. Yeah, it's uh. It's been inconsistent for him kind of all season. And, and like you guys said, uh, the three 30-plus point games against Boston this year, it's kind of crazy because his career high coming into this year was 32, which he did twice. And he has matched or eclipsed that in all three of the Boston games. So three of his top five scoring games of his career were this season, which hasn't been a particularly good season for him, against Boston. So – that's, that's nuts, and uh, kind of going back to Tom's point of, of when the offense is clicking, it it kind of everything else kind of finds its way into, into being for him. And I think we had a very similar conversation earlier this season about R.J. Barrett. Um, and it's been – that's been one of the Knicks' problems this season and kind of with their streaky play is when they play offense and when their shots are falling, they look so much better on the defensive end. And when their shots aren't falling, you know you start to see a lot of people losing focus and a lot less, you know, effort put in. And at some point, we just got to hope for some consistency because we see the flashes of what they're capable of. We saw what you know RJ Barrett did against um, against Indiana. We saw what Fournier did against Boston. We saw what Randall did against both Indiana and Boston. Like these guys are capable of playing good basketball and playing good all-around basketball in terms of both offense and defense. But, you know, they just haven't been able to put it together consistently this season. And that's what we're hoping for moving forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, that that beginning of that first Boston game when the (laughs) Knicks went down like 25, that was, you know, that was some of the worst ball we've seen played. And Fournier was the only reason they were even in the game at that point. But it was just a lot of missed shots. And many of those were R.J. Barrett's, to your point, Kenny. Like, R.J., was really struggling in that game. Um, and I had, he finished the game, I think it was 4 of 15 from the field. I'm looking that up right now to make sure. 4 of
0: 15 for 13 points, but,
2: but one of the, those 15. The three of those 13 points were the, the game winners, the, the bank shot. Um, I mean, and I would even say just prior to that, he he'd made a nice play in crunch time. I think it was with like two minutes left. When you know he'd been struggling all game, and he still he'd been getting just rejected by Robert Williams time and time again. He just had no luck on drives. He was getting you know basically the Celtics switch everything, and they don't really have any weak spots on the defensive end. And, and RJ has a hard time beating guys like that off the dribble, but um, with about a minute twenty left in the game, RJ ran a pick and roll with Mitch and threw this perfect lob to tie the game. And it's just like you know, he ended up having six assists to one turnover. So even though his shot wasn't falling for the most part, he was still doing some other good stuff. Um, And then just the the final play call to go to RJ Barrett when he's been struggling like that is, I don't know, it's kind of like some mad scientist genius stuff. I don't know what the rationale was at the time, but it ended up working out.
0: I can't imagine that is what the play was called, just given, like, that Fournier was not missing shots. I have to imagine that Fournier was plan A. Um, but RJ got it, and he, he finished it, and he ended the game right there, right, right then, and right there. So can't, can't fault it because yeah, uh, they came <laughs> out on top.
2: I'm looking at the play, and, and Fournier, he's not even used as, like, a decoy. He just sits on the block and doesn't move. So I, I really think that this was the play. Like <laughs> it, it's kind of crazy, but yeah, Fournier, it doesn't even move from his spot the entire time. Um, so yeah. it, it was a strange play call for sure. It looks like it could have gone to Randall as well, but the fact that RJ knocked that down, I mean, that was the highlight of the season. Like Greg said, it was the greatest shot. I mean, the last, the the first buzzer beater since 2012, I think. Um. Something like
0: was, that, 2012-2014, Jr. Smith against Charlotte, I want to say.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a, a very satisfying win, um, considering the, the comeback, considering, yeah, against rival Boston, Fournier's performance, um, you know, actually meaning something, and then R.J. Barrett completely redeeming himself at the end. It was, it was probably my, the most fun viewing experience of the season so far.
0: Yeah, and Tom, one other thing to your point about RJ Barrett in the last couple of minutes is um, after you, you mentioned the, the assist to Mitch, I went and checked the last two minutes, and he had the assist to Mitch. The next play, he had an assist to Emmanuel quickly. Then he drew a shooting foul. He made one of two, and then he made the game-winning three, and that was all in the last two minutes. So something there. There's something there. Yeah.
2: That's a good
1: finish to the game. And uh, to build on our our RJ hype, we'll go back to that Pacers game. Um, I'm sure we'll get back to the Celtics. We'll just jump around player by player. Because, I mean, in that Pacers game, RJ was just getting whatever he wanted. He was just uh, getting to the rim, driving past one person, driving past two people. You know, at one point, uh, Clyde was saying that it was – embarrassing what was happening to the Pacers, how easily RJ was making it look. He was just basically just doing pretty much whatever he wanted. He didn't have his three ball going too hot that game. Uh, let's see, he was only two for five from deep. But he still dropped 32. So, I mean, he was 10 for 15 inside the arc, which is a very good percentage. He was just – and like Tom always says, RJ's a – he's a man. Well, he gets he gets to the rim and that's he using his strength is his strength. So if he's be able he's been able to be very assertive in these last couple of weeks since Randall went out. Um and we were hoping that he would he would keep it up when Randall came back and thus far he has. I mean
2: I mean Barrett's had a weird year, man. Like even yeah. looking at his last Celtics game in the blowout loss, um Barrett had 19 points. He was just seven of twenty-one from the field, which is which is terrible, but four of nine from three. Like he it seems like when he's got the two-point shot going, maybe his three-ball isn't working, and vice versa. But it would be nice to see more consistency out of RJ from behind the arc because that was such a strength of his last year. Um but inconsistency has kind of been the story of his season. I, I would I agree with you, Greg, that RJ's been more aggressive in the last couple weeks and and he's had the ball in his hands more and he's kind of had a different role even um but there are little things that are that are still there that kind of worry me um in in the last game against the Celtics he was one of five from the free throw line and that's an anomaly he's not typically going to shoot that from the charity stripe but he he hasn't been good there for the most part this year and that's that's a worry because it's a little bit of a regression from last year where he made some strides so um, I don't know. He's, he's just had a very strange season. I do think things are looking up for him. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything more to say about RJ. I just, I, I'm interested in kind of moving to Emmanuel Quickly, who got his start at point guard in this game against Boston um, in, in the loss. You know, I think a lot of people had been hoping for Quickly to start playing that point guard spot to start at point guard, especially you know, with, with Kemba and Derrick Rose both out. I think I think a lot of Knicks fans were tired of Alec Burke starting at, at the point and wanted to see what Quickly could do. And we saw what he could do. And he actually, I mean, he was the only Nick I thought, who played well again in that second Boston game. What did you guys think about Quickly's turn at point guard? Yeah, I mean, he was really,
1: really good in that first quarter. He was three for three from three. But the one thing we've been talking about this entire time is you don't want to you know, destroy the bench by putting these guys in the starting lineup. But I mean, this has kind of become like a necessity right now because, you know, if you have Kemba Walker and Derek Rose injured, you need an actual point guard in the starting lineup. But I mean, quickly was very good down the stretch of that first Celtics game. And he was good in this second Celtics game. So, I mean, it does look like he could handle the point guard duties. He's got a good shot. He's controlled. Um, he does good work when he's not, you know, checking threes on the fast break. But um, it just kills that second unit. Not entire, not the entire second unit, but Hobie Toppin is just not good without an actual point guard um, in that second unit. I mean, he's, he played nine minutes in the first Celtics game and ten minutes in the next one or so, or nine against the Pacers and ten against the Celtics in the first game. Just because, I mean, he just doesn't – when you don't have a guy who's looking for him on outlets, he's just, you know, he's tough to watch. He's just air ball threes and stuff. I don't know. I like Emmanuel quickly That's the point, best point guard on the team currently. But, yeah, uh, it's more just I would like one of
0: the point guards we have to not be injured. Yeah, and I think there was a, a few points that you made there that were that were pretty good because, like, I liked what I saw from Quickly yesterday. I liked what he did. But like Greg said, and like we've said earlier in the year, like to start the year, the bench unit was very strong. And, you know, the last few weeks they haven't been as strong. Part of that is just because, you know, the league has been ravaged with COVID. And so, you know, there has been a lot of mixing and matching. And it it kind of goes back to the whole like team chemistry thing that I mentioned at the very beginning of the season Then uh, you know, I thought it was going to take a while for these guys to gel. And like right around the time when we would have wanted them to start gelling, like, people started going out and, you know, I think we saw it a little bit, um, yet was it yesterday with, uh, with Boston, um, just because Julius Randall didn't have, you know, Evan Fournier who had, you know, like Tom said earlier in the episode started developing a little bit of chemistry with, and so like not having those guys is a problem. And while I love Emmanuel quickly and I, I love what he did yesterday, like I, I can't wait for us to be back to, you know, semi-full strength so he can get back to the bench and, and you know, playing with Derek Rose coming back eventually um, and, you know, moving Burks back to the bench and having that unit back together because what we saw from them early in the season was just amazing. And, you know, I, I want to get back to that and hope that, you know, the starting unit gets a little more cohesive and, and you know, um, plays a little better.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think what may have impressed me most about Quickly this week was actually his defense. I, I thought that he was just, he did such a great job of of applying ball pressure, of tipping passes, of getting into passing lanes. And that first quarter against Boston, I, I even tweeted this, I thought it was probably the best first quarter defensively we'd played all season. Like we held Boston to 21 points, but it wasn't just that, it was like everyone seemed to be in sync and rotating and like playing the pick and roll correctly and switching. There were no, there were none of these miscommunications that we always see from the, from the starting group. And, and quickly was a big part of that. Like it was just, it was really impressive. And I, and I thought the same thing in the first Boston game and against Indiana, he was just, he's been really impressive defensively. And that's why I wonder when, you know, Derek Rose is going to be out for a while. So I don't know that we should really be counting on, on Rose coming back or when we, one one
0: point on that is that I think he recently got the go ahead to start rehab. So I think he is on a good trajectory, but I don't know what that timeline is, but I know that I saw that tweet yesterday. Uh,
2: Yeah. And that, that is encouraging. I just think for our purposes, as far as like analyzing the starting lineup and rotations, it makes sense to, to leave out Rose until we get a better sense of that timeline. But you know, when Kemba does come back, I, I'm, I am wondering if like Kemba should be, that bench point guard like and i only say that because you know quickly isn't the type of like real ball dominant point guard who does a lot of like beating his guy off the dribble getting into the paint and dish and kicking out for threes right like that that's kind of kemba's game but in that first lineup we've got a bunch of guys who like to generate offense themselves with the ball in their hands like randall obviously rj barrett fournier needs to do that a bit it's just it, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen for Kemba to come in there and be the the table setter for that team but in the in the bench lineup i could really see kemba developing that same chemistry with Obi Toppin and, and like really being a you know a real beneficial player for that group to have someone who's going to be able to penetrate defenses to hit threes off the dribble and do all the things that kemba does best i'd be really curious to see kemba coming off the bench and even when kemba was initially taken out of the rotation entirely i was very surprised because I just I really thought that giving it a go with Kemba in that that bench lineup would have been worth a try at least, so I was surprised when that didn't happen, and I think I still would like to see it happen again, just I think it's a better fit.
1: yeah, I agree with that, and it'd be interesting if you know when when Nerlens Noel gets healthy if, after a few games if he gets back into the starting lineup and and Mitch gets back to that bench with uh with kemba if if that happens if, I don't know. Because I mean, in this 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 last Celtics game, um, Tibbs just did not play Deuce McBride. He played him three minutes, uh, so it was just strictly Emmanuel, quickly, and Alec Burks at point guard. Which you know, neither of them is a traditional point guard. Um, so,
2: yeah. And the uh, question becomes like, do you back. think do you think you need a traditional point guard? in the starting lineup when we see Julius Randle bring the ball up so much, you know, should he bring the ball up so much and initiate the offense? Probably not, but that's just the reality of, of how this team operates right now. So with that being the case, it makes, it almost makes sense to play an off guard at point guard like we have with Alec Burks, but Alec Burks doesn't do a lot of things that quickly can do um, as far as I mean, it's tough. Like I just, I like what quickly brings as far as his energy And, you know, he pushes the pace in transition. He gets out. He's he's got a quick trigger off the dribble from three. Um, But I I think I just, I like quickly more as that point guard than, than Burks. And conceptually, I I fully understand what
0: you're saying, because like you said, there's a lot of high usage people, particularly when we're healthy. If you have Fournier, if you have uh, Randall and you have uh, RJ Barrett, those are three high usage people. And then, you know, um, Mitchell Robinson is, you know, less usage. He's more of a catch and dunk kind of guy. Um, and in that sense, it does. I see the point of the having the, the shooting guard or, or an off ball guy in that position, but just seeing how inefficient it has been with, um, with Burks in that position. Like I just want a pure point guard out there with that lineup. Like I, it's, uh, I fully see your point and I understand it and it makes sense, but, I just want a point guard out there. That's yeah, that's my I, feeling on the topic.
2: I think that 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 also makes sense. Um, and when Burks was moved into the starting lineup, I liked it from a defensive standpoint because I thought there'd be a lot more switching and all that stuff that I think all the Knicks analysts were saying at the time. And that clearly didn't work. And so the question would be like, would it really be all that different with Quickly? And I I just I think that Quickly is just such a better defender and he's just got so much energy and he gets into guys on the perimeter, right? Cause Burks is just a little, a different point in his career, a different point athletically, um, after all of his, his injuries and everything like quickly just is that guy on the perimeter. Like he, I think I just have more faith in him to do that, but I could be falling into the same trap that I did when AB moved into the starting lineup. So I, I don't yeah, know, and- basically, I'm just curious to see what it would look like.
0: Yeah, and for me, I mean, it's, this, it's the same point that I made when A.B. got moved in the starting lineup. It's just that when you do that, you're taking away a lot of what they do. Like, like quickly and A.B. both had the, and, you know, it wasn't going to be the same person every night on the, on the bench unit. Like, a different night, one of them would go off for 20 points. And when you put them in the starting lineup, you really kind of handicap them because they're not going to get the shots that they otherwise might. And, like, that, I think that's what it comes down to. But, you know, like you said, Kemba is, a, is a, another high usage guy. So, you know, query how, how that would work. Although before his injury, was, it was looking a, a little more successful and he was getting more shots up and, and scoring at a pretty efficient clip. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I want a point guard out there is my, my take on it. And like you said, maybe that's wrong, but that's my take. There is no right or no wrong.
1: There's only what Tibbs Tibbs is willing to do and not do. So we'll see. We'll see what he does. Uh, Who knows? Deuce McBride played good that one game and uh, then went on the COVID list and now just sits on the bench all the time. But, I mean, he only played one good game. So I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. Was Kemba ever coming back? We don't know. This is an arthritic knee. Derek Rose ever coming back? He was questionable. Being out for two months. So there's there's going to be a point guard question for a very long time on this Knicks team. Um, and hopefully it gets solved by, by somebody. And if it's not, hopefully the players that aren't the point guard are good enough for us to not care. Yeah. Anyways, what else? What else do you guys want to talk about?
2: Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, Mitchell Robinson, I think, like, really got outplayed by Robert Williams. You know, it was just – it was really upsetting to see because that's kind of – when Mitch is at his best, that's what he does. He protects the rim. He dunks lobs. He gets offensive boards. But Mitch is just uh, – his production and his his level of engagement with the game is just so inconsistent. I. I, you just don't know what you're going to get from him on a night to night basis and so it makes you question a few things like is he a starting center for this team should the team commit to him long term this is i mean uh, i'm not the first one pointing this out this is a contract year for Mitchell Robinson like you would think he would be playing his absolute best to try and get that bag in the off season but this is what we're getting at this point you know it's whether that's a function of injuries you know trying to play trying to get used to his weight that he gained, the muscle he put on in the offseason, if that's still a thing. Um, I don't know. Uh, It's just funny because Mitch for, I think, a couple years in a row was considered, like, the Knicks' most valuable player, right? Like, you saw some of those ESPN Top 100 lists where Mitch would be the only on on the entire list. And it's almost hard to even – Kind of understand where they were coming from at this point because he's just, he hasn't really gotten better in any of these areas. And the value that he brought as a rookie is still kind of the same that he brings now, where it's just he's a complete terror on the offensive glass. When he is engaged, he's a great rim protector. And when he's not, he's only just so so. So I don't know. You guys have any feelings or strong feelings about Mitchell Robinson?
0: I think it's the same thing we've been talking about with everyone. Like when he gets. When he gets his chance to, to shine offensively, I think he's more um, engaged in other areas. And again, I think that might go back to the fact that the Knicks don't have a point guard and he's not a guy who's creating his own offense. The only way he can create his own offense is, is if he gets an offensive uh, rebound, which you know, to his credit, he has been doing a little bit of still, even when he doesn't play well. But when he's getting lobs and when he's getting like little uh, dribble handoffs at the rim and like getting dunks, he's... He's had some very, very impressive games, but he's had just as many games where he's just kind of not there. So it's, um, it's a common theme with a lot of these guys that, you know, they're just – when their shots are going in, they're engaged on both ends. But when their shots aren't going in, then they kind of check out on the defensive end in addition to the offensive end. So I, I don't know how you, how you fix that.
2: Yeah, I mean, the other thing with Mitch is just like he – fundamentally struggles to defend stretch fives like it because we play this like drop scheme where in the pick and roll Mitch drops back into the paint and tries to corral the ball handler until the ball handler's man can get around the screen and finally come back and if they're playing a, a you know a pick and pop big man like a Miles Turner type it's just it's been a huge issue and it's been you know to the point where a lot of Knicks fans are calling for the Knicks to just switch everything like it can't get any worse other than just like leaving, you know, stretch fives wide open. You might as well roll the dice with Mitch trying to guard a ball handler um, off the dribble earlier in Mitch's career. That was something he was actually pretty good at. He, he has, you know, like we said, gained some muscle and, and as a result become slower. But um, I, that's just one thing I think it worth noting is there's, there's a certain type of player that he really struggles against, um, which makes it even more frustrating when he struggles against a guy like Robert Williams, who is kind of in the exact mold that he is, but just smaller. You know, Mitch has probably three or four inches on the guy and a lot of weight, Um, but he just really struggled with, with Robert.
1: Yeah. At least Miles Turner in that first Pacers game didn't do much was 0 for 2 from 3 after dropping his, his career-high seven three-pointers on the Knicks earlier in the season. Ended up with five points. So it's good to see the – I was going to say it's good to see the Knicks getting away from giving up a career game for for someone every game they play. But some guy named Sykes dropped 22 on, on the Knicks that game. And, uh, you know, the guy was like 5'11 and just doing whatever he wanted. So – Who knows what the Knicks are up to? I don't know.
2: It's a a baffling team. (laughs) It really is. Yeah.
1: Well, who else? Quentin Grimes played some time. He's starting to crack this rotation, especially with, you know, Fournier was out, so Grimes got a, a good bit of run in the second Celtics game. He 28 minutes, six points. That's not good, but nobody was good, so we won't blame him. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else to talk about.
2: I mean, currently, as we're recording, the Knicks are 19-21. They are 11th in the East. Um, are, so that puts them just outside the the play-in game if the postseason were to start today. Um, I don't know. They're 6-4 they're and four in their last 10. And it, you're just trying to, like, look at the standings and, and see – Who they might be able to to pass, and uh, it's just it's it's a tricky it's a tricky place to be in this kind of middle tier where you're not solidly in the playoff picture. There's hope for it, but you know if the season were to end today, the chance of a good draft pick would be very low, and you'd still be on the outside looking in. It's just it is a very precarious spot to be in, and so you gotta hope that uh, that the Knicks can turn it around.
0: Yeah, and I'll jump in on on that because there was a tweet a couple days ago that the Knicks have the second hardest strength of schedule the remainder of the season. Um, I don't think that starts quite immediately. I think they're still in a stretch where they have some easier games, and then after that, the end of the season gets kind of dark. So the Knicks, if they're going to make a turnaround, they need to do it soon. Um, I think their next few games, their next maybe – 10 games uh, throughout through January. Um it's it's an easier schedule and then once they hit February it starts to get uh pretty rough. So this is this is going to be a make or break January for for this Knicks team.
2: Yeah, March looks really bad. So I mean, who knows if the season will still matter <laughs> by then. Um but yeah, it's it's an important stretch coming up uh this this week. We've got uh, Monday, so when people are usually probably listening to this, it'll be this evening. The, we've got the San Antonio Spurs at home, the Dallas Mavericks on Wednesday at home, and then Saturday the Knicks go to Atlanta to play the Hawks. Um, so it's a big, big three-game stretch coming up. Do we want to do predictions before we get into to what else is on?
1: Okay, yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll go with 3-0 just out of necessity. For my sanity, um, I didn't watch a lot of Knicks this week just because they they would just go down by twenty five, and I would stop watching it. So I need something good to happen, even though they went two and one this week.
0: I need, yeah, like I need
1: comfortable wins.
0: Yeah, I need them to also go three and zero. Like San Antonio is having a down year. Um, and Dallas and Atlanta, I'm not particularly fond of given, uh, you know, the whole Porzingis thing with Dallas and then the whole Atlanta thing with Atlanta. So <laughs> three, three and O would be good for me.
2: You hate the show
0: Atlanta. Yeah. Well, it's big, yeah. Big, big, childish Gambino fan though.
2: Yeah. You wanted to focus on his music career. Yeah. Shouldn't be messing around with TV. Saying three and zero. I think the I Knicks can go three and zero. I think that that I is hugely optimistic. Uh-huh. I need but, it. Is the problem? I think we all need it. I think we like. I mean, even two and one. If the Knicks had another two and one week, that's still that's still a win, right? Like we'd still be coming on here next week feeling pretty good about it.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. I'd be happy with that. I'd really like a 3 and 0 week, but if if we're going to go 2 and 1, I'd rather lose to the Spurs and beat Dallas and Atlanta, if I'm being honest with you guys. I'd rather not do that cuz then you know, if they lose to the Spurs,
1: then they're just going to go oh and 3 this week.
2: <sighs> so we will was... predict
1: 3 and
2: 0, but uh, no. As a pod, we're predicting 3 and 0. Let's do it. Out of necessity.
1: And thus concludes the next portion of this podcast and leads us to everybody's favorite sub podcast. What else is on? And I know uh, the three of us have all been watching the same thing. It's quite the, uh, the interesting television show station 11 on HBO max. Um, it's an adventure. It's, uh, it's confusing. There's a lot of time jumping but it's
0: it's entertaining, and there's yep. only one episode left now. So, I uh, I think they missed an opportunity. Um, there should be an eleven episode yeah, series, but what do I know? But yeah, it's been it's been very interesting. Um, <laughs> I've been I've been talking to to both Greg and Tom about like little things that I've picked up, and I I texted one to Greg the other day and said like I don't know if any of this matters or if it's just like there just to like. Just to see if you're paying attention. I don't think it matters. is the answer that, that we came out to.
1: They just they want you to be that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's
0: like, "Oh, there's an Yeah, and I think that's what's happened because, like, it's happened enough that there's been little things that I've noticed that, like, now I wonder if I missed some stuff in in some previous episodes. Now I got to go back and watch it, and that's what they're getting from me. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't actually gone back and watched it, but after that conversation with we'll like, Greg, I'm pretty sure none of it means anything. It's just there.
2: So episodes eight and nine of Station Eleven dropped on HBO on Thursday. You guys have, bo- have seen both of the most recent episodes. I've only watched episode eight. So I still have one more to go. I'm going to watch it this evening. And I'm excited to talk to you guys about it and hear what those theories are, Kenny, because you do pick up on these these little hidden clues that maybe aren't that hidden, um, but like, I'm not the most observant uh, you know, I'm not the smartest viewer, right? I'm not going in there like having theories of things. Um, you know, that's just kind of how I, how I roll. I'm just along for the ride a little bit, but station 11 is a lot of fun. Like I I think that it's really well done. Uh, I, I love the, some of these characters that they've got. Um, I like the dynamic between the profit and, and I wonder if people who are listening to this have watched the show, but the, between the profit, and uh, Kirsten, the main character, I think they've got some really good chemistry, even though they're kind of adversaries. Um, and I, you know, following episode eight, I'm really curious to see where that goes after those events. So, um, spoiler alert for you, Tom: you're not going to find out in episode nine. Right? Yeah, because I know they keep time jumping, and so they probably go back in time, and you learn about Jeevan. I'd imagine, um, which is good. I like that storyline. I'm, I'm, I've always enjoyed that that part of the story, probably even more than the traveling symphony storyline. I care less about them than I do about Jeevan and Frank and, and all those folks. So, um, yeah,
1: I think this, this show, we keep talking about the time jumps. I think it would have been perfectly fine in, in sequential order. We would have all been entertained and it would have made sense the entire time. I I don't know. (laughs) I, I haven't read the book. I don't know if the book isn't in sequential order, but I don't know why the show isn't in sequential order other than an artistic decision. Like, I mean, Kenny watched episode eight and episode nine.
0: Before you guys watched, there's, there was no reason for episode eight to be before episode nine. <laughs> that That's accurate. And we've, we've talked about, you know, I think episode three was just about a secondary character who we'd never see again, seemingly. And like, that was it.
2: Well, so, so episode it three is about I the think character it was a- who wrote s- Station Eleven, the comic book, that's become such a central part of the storyline, you know, so much so that that's what the show's named after. And so hearing her backstory and kind of where she was coming from when she created this s- important text, I think that's an important part of the story. I mean, it's, it's a 10-episode show, and one episode was...
0: Entirely dedicated to her, I don't, I don't. know that that is essential, but I've enjoyed the show. And maybe she comes back. Maybe she's not even, you know,
2: gone. I don't know. We have no way to know. I'd expect her to come back, mm-hmm. but that's I don't know right. how she would have gotten from. That's pretty hot take. Was, yeah. was it Thailand? Ge- Geographically, that's a hot take. Or was she
0: Myanmar? <laughs> yeah,
1: she's, she was. Yeah, she was in Asia.
0: It's definitely in Asia and the show takes place in in Chicago. Chicago. Uh, so that would that would be tough. Yeah. Good show. He's got one
1: episode left coming out this week, I assume. And uh, then we'll we'll have a bigger discussion. But other than that, what what else is on? Is anyone watching anything else? I mean Clay Thompson comes back tonight. I'll I'll throw that on. I wanna see what him drop sixty in his first
0: game back. So but, uh uh, sorry, I was, thought you were done. No, I was. Show, but what else on? Uh For me, um, I mentioned this to you guys, but I think Station 11 is a little heavier. So, like, after Station 11, I uh, switch over to um, Tacoma FD, which is just a random show that I found on uh, HBO Max. And it's the Broken Lizard guys. It's two of the guys from um, Super Troopers who are the main characters. And, like, it's light. It's comedic. It's, uh, it's basically what you would expect from a TV show by those people. Um, I, I don't know if it, it reaches the heights of, you know, Beer Fest and uh, Super Troopers, but it's good. So that's my, that's my you know, post-Station Eleven, you know, light-in-the-mood TV show right now. Yeah, I've seen the first couple episodes of that one, uh, that show. So they're entertaining. Yeah. So it's, it, and just to give you some background, it's about um, a firehouse in Tacoma, Washington, which is the rainiest city in America, they claim. So, a whole bunch of shenanigans involved in you know, fighting fires in a place where it's always raining.
1: Now, I'll say that in the last two days, I watched the first season of Search Party on HBO Max. Oh, it was, uh, how's that? It' was pretty good. it's got the it's got the guy from uh, the I think you should leave sketch where with the with the credit card roulette, the blonde guy really so i'm I'm fairly certain that he would like to be known from this show rather than me saying you're the guy from that one sketch. He'd say, I, I was on a TV show for five seasons. That's what I'm from. Yeah, But he he's funny. He's a funny guy. It's like, a, you know, some girl goes missing. And, and then uh, an acquaintance of her just gets, like, obsessed with trying to find her. It's like a, it's a comedy. But it's also, like, a real show. It's pretty good. I've been entertained enough to watch ten episodes in two days.
0: Good stuff. What about you, Tom?
2: Well, so, Greg, how does that compare to murders only in the building? Because I feel like um, that's a comedy, but also, like, you know, about a, a crime. So sort of similar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think
1: Only Murders in the Building is obviously better, probably funnier. But this is, a, this is good. Okay. You know, it's a tough comparison. But, yeah, I think it's it's similarly structured in its comedic aspects and other stuff. It, you don't have, like, two of the best funny people ever in it, though.
2: Right a tough bar yeah selena gomez is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about uh nathan lane yeah i do like nathan lane uh timon of yeah. timon and pumba as you guys know you um, know what it always
1: gets me is uh in superstore when uh someone goes up to mateo and says he's seen the bird cage <laughs> and mateo says it's it's an important film. <laughs> Just no idea how to
2: respond to that. It's an important film. Uh, back to you. Um, yeah, so over, over Christmas, I watched It's a Wonderful Life for the first time. I'd never seen that movie. Um, is this a movie you guys have both seen? Yeah, but uh, I've, not.
0: I've, you've not, you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life? I thought you no. list when we in our group chat did like top Christmas movies. I thought you listed that among Dave the top Christmas Dave did. That's my brother. They're twins. The so, okay.
2: Yeah, so I'd never seen that movie. Um, I was once in Greg's shoes. I watched it, and I really liked it. I thought it was a really kind of heartwarming, well-done Christmas movie. I was like, that's great. I could see why people think that's the best Christmas movie of all time. So it kind of like sent me down a little wormhole of like really old movies. So I'll put these on like after my wife Rose has fallen asleep and I kind of want to fall asleep. I just put on these old movies. Um, I watched his girl Friday, which is a movie with Cary Grant from 1940. And I really liked it. It was like, it was a really good movie. I don't know. It, it's 80 years ago. Is, is that re- 82 years ago. I mean, that's so old. Uh, but so they, they were still, old. they were still making good stuff. I don't know. It, it's just kind of like a, interesting time capsule of how people dressed and spoke or at least how they did in hollywood it was crazy so i watched his girl friday um i watched these movies are these movies in black and white um his girl friday it's a wonderful life's in black and white right it's a wonderful life definitely is in black and white and then his girl friday also in black and white um And then I'm currently watching, I watched the first half last night before I fell asleep of a movie called Charade starring again, Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. This is from like 1960 though. So a little older, this is not black and white, but it's still quite old. And uh, I don't know, I like these movies. They're they're pretty good. I could see why they were like very uh, popular at the time. People back in 1940 and even 1960, not that different from us. Mm, (laughs) That makes sense. Similar tastes. They're still...
1: Hmm. And to, to go off of what you're saying in a completely different direction, I also watched the movie. We uh, when I gave you my list of top ten movies, we talked about if I would watch City of God again. But I just I decided to, and I did. So I
0: watched City of God again in this last week. Still good, still the best. Movie still ever. the best. I don't know yeah. if I would watch City of God again. I feel like there's a bunch of like good movies that like that was good, but like not top. Means- too much for me. No, City of Gods.
1: I had long enough time to to digest, but also City of God isn't like watching another one of those movies like Requiem switched. for a Dream.
0: Yeah, never like, watch so Requiem for a, a Dream again.
1: A lot of the killing in City of God takes place off screen, so you don't even like watch people get shot. Yeah,
2: no, It's, Fair it's a Great movie, great movie. Anything else, Greg? That you've been watching other than the rewatch of City of God? That's it. That's all. over here.
1: That's it. That's all. All right. Thus ends everyone's favorite sub-podcast. Uh, what else? But hopefully, the Knicks decide to be good again. That would be helpful for us. We are in a, an important stretch. So, this season is, is going to be make or break January, as Kenny said.
2: So, go Knicks. Let's go Knicks. Knicks take.